Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to our Easter Sunday message. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. There's a classic Christian greeting that is built around Resurrection Sunday. A lot of you guys know it, so hold off. I'm going to teach everyone else. I say, he is risen. And you guys say, he is risen indeed. Can we do it in unison? Come on, you guys ready? You ready? He is risen. Come on, somebody. One more time. He is risen. Let's go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14 says, If Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. Listen to this. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, everything we're doing here is a waste of time. Singing, waste of time. Me preaching, waste of time. Me wearing this suit today, come on somebody, a waste of time. We don't have faith without Resurrection Sunday. Verse 20 says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I want to call our message today, leave it behind. Leave it behind. Come on, let's clap our hands one more time. You guys can find a seat this morning. So glad that you could be in the house today, this Resurrection Sunday. If you do not know uh, my name, my name is Harrison, and I'm just honored that you guys took the time uh, to be here today. Uh, again, on this Easter Sunday. Uh, I want to begin this morning. Oh, I, thought, I was like, where's that coming from? <laughs> Caught me off guard. Um, in the back, Kate Prince or someone, can we put a little light on so you guys can see each other with a dim if you could? So good, everyone watching online in the building. So uh, I want to begin by telling you guys a story. Something happened to me uh, a couple weeks back, and It stuck out to me because it happened while I was doing something that I've done like a thousand times before in my life. So last week I was pulling in to a parking spot at Shoppers Drug Mart, and the one just off St. Albert Trail. And again, I've been driving uh, for 15 years, had my license for 15 years, and I've parked, I don't know how to quantify it, but I think I've probably parked like a thousand times times, at least in my life. And I experienced something I've never experienced before. As I was pulling in, and I'm pulling in slowly, cautiously, the car beside me, the same time I'm pulling in, he begins to pull out. Have you guys ever experienced this before? And what happened was that I looked over at the car. Now, in the moment, I didn't know that he was simply pulling out and I was pulling in. I didn't know any of that. All I knew was that my brain was telling me something and that was that I was in danger. Because something happens, and I didn't look up the science, but like when someone's going forward and another person's coming this way and they're right beside you, it kind of creates an optical illusion in your brain. And so although I was pulling in, I began to feel literally like I was going backwards. And I'm going like three kilometers per hour, but I slam on the brakes. 
because I'm like, my body's like, feels like it's in danger. And the moment I slam on the brakes is when I realized that the car beside me was just pulling out. Uh, and then I realized that I had just fallen from my own brain's illusion. But it really caught me off guard. Any of you guys ever experienced that before? Few people. And so I was like so shaken. I went home and I told Chris, and I said, have you ever experienced this before? Like this was the weirdest thing that I've ever experienced. And the reason that I was thinking that it was so out of the ordinary, it wasn't because it was like this life-changing moment. It was just that it was something that I had done so many times over and over again. And I had sort of gotten to a place where I thought that I could experience all that I'm ever going to experience pulling into a stall. But that day, I experienced something completely new. Now, the reason I'm telling this story is because I believe 2,000 years ago, give or take, there was a Sunday that perhaps for many people, it seemed like all the Sundays before, Nothing was out of the ordinary, nothing was different, but on that Sunday, something happened that would literally change the course of history. And I just happened to believe that Sunday and every Easter Sunday since then, people have been experiencing profound shifts in their lives, where everything seemed normal. But then in a flash, in a moment, things were changed forever. You see, the story of Easter, I believe, is an invitation to be forever changed. To experience something that you've never experienced before. And I just happen to believe today is the day for someone that although maybe you woke up and it felt like an ordinary, ordinary Sunday, today is the day that you are going to experience something profoundly different. You see, I think that so many of us, whether we know it or not, we live our lives in such a way where we carry things around, and we carry these things around for so long, they just become normal. For some of us, we've carried around bitterness. For some of us, we've carried around pride. For some of us, we've carried around fear, and, and we hold these things so deeply inside of us, we think that they are just who we are. And so we walk around our lives thinking, this is just who I am. I'm just an anxious person. I'm just an angry person. I'm just a broken person. But I believe that today... And every Sunday for the last 2,000 years has been an invitation to leave something behind. And what I want to do today is I want to give someone an invitation to leave today forever changed. To not carry around the things that you thought were just who you are. Because if Jesus really did raise from the dead, everything changes. Everything changes. So what I want to do today is I want to look at two people in specific, and then we're going to look at Jesus because it's Easter. Come on, somebody. We have to look at Jesus. But I want to look at two people in the, in the Easter story, and I want to kind of connect their stories to our stories and see what happens when Jesus comes in the mix. So I want to look at two people in specific to start. Number one, a man named Nicodemus. 
Can you guys say Nicodemus? Nicodemus. If you're looking for a baby name, there you go, Nicodemus. <laughs> Second person I want to look at is a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. You guys can all say Joseph. I'm not going to make you say it. It's pretty easy. And then, of course, Jesus. And what we're going to see is that each person leaves something behind as a result of the Easter story. So the first person we're going to look at is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, his story begins uh, actually far uh, before the Passion narrative or the Easter weekend narrative. Uh, We don't actually know exactly when this story takes place, but it takes place before Easter. And I want to just paint a picture of Nicodemus because I think for some of us, we're going to find a little bit of ourselves in Nicodemus. So John chapter 3 is where we are. This is the Gospel of John. He writes, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who is a member of the Jewish ruling council. So just pause here for a second. So what we learned about Nicodemus, a couple of things. Number one, he was a Pharisee. So what that meant was that he was a religious leader. And so to be a religious Jewish leader in this time, it gave you a few things. It gave you power. It gave you prestige. Nicodemus, by all accounts, he was someone that would have known the scriptures. He was a holy dude. He didn't get dressed up on Easter Sunday every Sunday. Come on, somebody. Nicodemus was someone that, like, literally people would have gone to him if they had questions about scripture because they would think, this guy knows. He was an intellect. He was someone of prestige. And the Bible says in verse 2, He came to Jesus at night. Now, this is important. There's a reason he came to Jesus at night. It's because by this time, Jesus had been gaining popularity. He'd been gaining influence. He'd been gaining a following. And so for for, for the people that saw Jesus, everyone kind of had some sort of an inclination, like this guy is different. This Jesus isn't like the rest, the way that he speaks, the way that he talks, the miracles he's performing. And so for the religious leaders at this time, instead of getting on Jesus' side, they saw him as a threat, as a threat to the institution, as a threat to their power, as a threat to their prestige, challenging their intellect. And so Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, he's drawn to Jesus in some way. He wants to know more, but he has to come in the darkness of night because he doesn't want anyone to see. Something about Jesus, but no one can notice. Continuing, he says to Jesus, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with them. So this is important. Nicodemus, he sees Jesus, comes to him and he says, hey, there's no doubt you are from God. There's just something different. But here's what's important. Being from God is different than being God. He's discerned something, but not the full picture. You see, Nicodemus, who I think he represents here, he represents the intellectual person, the the thinker. Anyone like that? You're a thinker. You're, You're a deep thinker. You're logical. You're practical. 
Like Nicodemus is practical enough to know like there's something about this Jesus. And I know there are people here today, you're practical enough. When you look around the world, you see the, the beauty of the sunsets. You see the roar of the rushing waters or the sound of the wind. Or you just look at humanity. You look at people and the intricacies of, of how they are designed and how they are created. And something inside of you says, man, there has to be something more. We're not here by accident. But although you can discern that, there's something that holds you back. It's like, yeah, I believe in a higher power. There has to be an energy behind all this. Kind of like Nicodemus. Anyone can see. But there's something that holds you back. You're spiritual. I'm a spiritual person. Of course I am. But something holds you back. Jesus says to him, verse 3, he says, very truly, I tell you that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Nicodemus doesn't know what he's talking about. He says, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they can't go into their mother's womb a second time to be born. And so in the midst of his doubt and his questioning, Jesus hits him with a spiritual thought, a spiritual saying, no one can, be, can see the kingdom unless they're born again. And Nicodemus here, again, he's seeing things in the natural. That's just who he is. He's an intellect. He's smart. What do you mean born again? I'm not going back into my mama's womb. What does that mean? And it's interesting because in the rest of John chapter 3 here, Nicodemus and Jesus, they kind of go back and forth, and it's really more just Jesus speaking. He tells them a whole bunch of things, that God loved the world so much he sent his son. But the story doesn't let us know anything about Nicodemus. It kind of leaves us at a cliffhanger, at a crossroads. Does Nicodemus change? Does he, does he believe that this Jesus is more than just a, a great teacher. And so the Bible kind of leaves it up in the air. But what we know for certain, because it's not given to us, is that it doesn't appear that he makes a conscious decision to say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. But again, he's, he's the intellect. And for some of us, you know this to be true, your own brain gets in the way sometimes because you're smart. You're the person that has all the questions to stump. Right, like a pastor comes, like, I'll stump that guy. Like, okay, God, you believe in a God? Well, could God create a rock too heavy to lift? You ever thought of that one, pastor? <laughs> well, if there is a God, who created him? But you can't answer that one, Pastor. But what's interesting, I think, beneath every intellect, there's a spirit of fear that God challenges, that if there is a God, there are certain things that just move beyond the natural. There are certain things that just won't make sense. And so much like Nicodemus, 
You kind of stay in the dark. I see Jesus in the dark. And the next character I want to look at, we're coming back to, to, to Nicodemus, don't worry, is Joseph of Arimathea. Now, Joseph, he doesn't show up in the Gospels until the crucifixion, uh, at least in name. But he's around before that. And each gospel kind of gives us different details about Joseph. And I want to pull some details out because I think for many of us, we're going to see ourselves in Joseph, much like some of us saw ourselves in Nicodemus. It says, as evening approached, this is Matthew 27, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. So, Matthew 27 lets us know there's a rich man who was a disciple of Jesus. The Gospel of Mark, I don't have it on the screen, but it lets us know that he was also a Jewish leader, similar to Nicodemus, someone of power and prestige. But what John's Gospel, we're going to read it in a moment, what it adds that Matthew doesn't add, it adds one word. It says that Joseph was a secret disciple of Jesus. So Joseph and Nicodemus, they're similar in lots of ways because Joseph would have also been someone of prestige, power, intellect. I think the Bible, not by mistake, lets us know one thing specific. He's rich. He's got money. With that comes a whole lot of things. But the one difference between him and Nicodemus is that for Joseph, there's something inside of him that is fully convinced that this Jesus is someone special. And so he is branded and labeled as a follower or a disciple of Jesus. But there's just one thing. He's a secret disciple of Jesus. He's a secret follower of Jesus. He was afraid of the people around him. He was afraid of the Jewish leaders, his, his contemporaries. What would they do to me? What would they think of me if they knew that I was a follower of Jesus? His reputation was at stake. Perhaps in some sense, his money was at stake. Maybe the way in which he made money was connected to having a certain level of prestige and power. And if he lost that, maybe he would lose some of his wealth. And so he believes fully who Jesus says he is, but only in secret. He was afraid. He was overcome by a spirit of fear. And I wonder today, if there's someone in this place, you are like Joseph. You would label and classify yourself as a follower within the confines of a church, and when the lights are dim, you have no problem raising your hands, worshiping God. But in certain settings, you're a lot more like Joseph, where you're a secret follower of Jesus. Well, I, I, can't, I can't talk about Jesus on campus because I don't want people to think that I'm anti-intellectual. Well, I don't want people to think I'm closed-minded. Well, I, I don't want people to think that I'm anti-this or anti-that. And so I come to church, I do my thing, I believe in Jesus, but only in secret. Only in secret. For some of us, it's work. We have a job. Maybe with that job comes a reputation. 
Like, Harrison, I'm a, I'm a doctor. I'm a businessman. I, ha- I have things at stake. Like, I know, what, I know what Jesus says and all that good stuff, but I think he just wants me to live my life. I don't want anyone to think any different of me. I'm a Christian, and, and I'm a businessman. I'm a doctor, and I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm a teacher over here, and I'm a Christian over here. And there's something that happens within us. It's this spirit of fear. It's this spirit of fear. And much like Jesus, or much like Joseph, I should say, we're secret followers of Jesus. And like Nicodemus, we're in the dark. And what happens with these spirits, because maybe it's fear. Maybe it's the spirit of pride. Like, I just know too much. I'm not going to follow a God. I'm not going to tell anyone how to live my life. I'm the man. I'm the woman. Does anyone say that? (laughs) And what happens is we carry these things around for so long, these spirits, these thoughts, we just begin to think they are who we are. That's just who I am, Harrison. Some people are more overt, not me. It's not my personality. It's not my, my, my type. I'm an Enneagram, whatever. It's not my thing. And I believe that Joseph and Nicodemus just had these spirits that they carried around that just became normal. Joseph has no issue being a secret disciple. And Nicodemus is in the dark. But then, there was a Friday, 2,000 years ago, and something happens on this Friday to this Jesus, and there's a shift. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus was put on trial. Jesus, a man who by all accounts lived a perfect, as we know, a sinful life, sinless Clip that online. (laughs) That's my last sermon today, guys. (laughs) Jesus lived a sinless life. (laughs) Yet he's put on trial. There's a man, clearly guilty, a man named Barabbas. The crowd says, hey, listen, release Barabbas. We want Jesus to be tried. We want him to be crucified. Pilate, eventually, who's in charge of it all, he even says, I see nothing wrong with this man. But hey, he's in your hands. He's in your hands. And this Jesus, the one that Nicodemus saw at night, this Jesus, the one that Joseph secretly followed, he was beaten He was whipped. He was made a crown of thorns, made to bear a cross, tortured, spit on, rejected, despised, and ultimately hung on a cross to die a sinner's death. Now, we don't know exactly where Joseph and Nicodemus are in this moment. But we have enough detail about who they are that more than likely, they are there to witness these things. At what distance, I cannot say. But they know. 
They know that this Jesus, this man that by all accounts was about love and acceptance and grace was being put to death. And as they watch this, this man beaten, crucified, something shifts. Something shifts. John chapter 19, verse 38, it says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. This is after Jesus has died. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. Now I want to set up this scene. It's important to understand. Joseph, the secret follower of Jesus, something shifted inside of him when he saw Jesus on the cross. You see, based on the customs of the Jews at the time, they had to get the body down before the sun would set because the Sabbath was coming. And so we know that this was literally in the middle of the day, in the light, Joseph comes to Pilate and he asks for the body of Jesus. And I can almost imagine Pilate because a part of him is probably like, wasn't it just your boys that put this guy to death? But sure, you want the body? Go take the body. And I can imagine this scene, Joseph, the one who followed Jesus in secret, now in broad daylight is passing the people that he works with, passing the people that know who he is. And they must be thinking, what is he doing? Where is he going? And as they see Joseph, he goes to the cross and he takes down the body of Jesus. Why? Because the cross shifted something in him. There was something inside of him when he saw this perfect man, this innocent man, beaten, tortured, crucified, that Joseph said, I'm not living in fear anymore. I'm not living in the dark anymore. And he asks Pilate for the body of Jesus. And in broad daylight, in front of all of the people he was once worried about, what will they think of me? He goes to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But... He's not alone. Verse 39 says, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and stripes of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. So we can't miss this. Nicodemus, the intellect, the one who came to Jesus in the night, something inside of him shifted in a moment. And that spirit that was with him for so long, he drops it and he goes with Joseph to the cross to take down and embalm the body of Jesus. Now, we can't miss this because it says that he brought 75 pounds of spices. 75 pounds? Like, I don't know how he brought 75 pounds, if he had a wagon or whatnot. 
But I want us to picture this because Nicodemus, the man who was in the night coming to see Jesus, the man who would not risk being seen in the light, all of a sudden he's lugging around 75 pounds of spices. And where are you going, Nicodemus? I'm going to the cross. Because something inside of him shifted when he saw what Jesus did, what Jesus went through. Something shifted. The logical, the practical, the powerful, all of a sudden they were willing to let it drop at the cross. And the skeptic is fading. The spirit of fear is faltering. These people have no clue who the Apostle Paul is, but he would later write, at the right time, where we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly die. But God demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. You see, love has this way, true love of melting the hardest of hearts, of taking things that we thought were just who we are, fear, insecurity, and letting us know that we can live different. The cross shifted something. It motivated them to leave behind fear, to leave behind pride, to leave behind the dark and step into the light. The cross was a shift. In one moment, the way they thought they had to be was eternally shifted, eternally transformed. Nicodemus is lugging around these spices. Joseph is taking the body off the cross. You need to understand this. Nicodemus probably had some money. Joseph, we know for certain, was wealthy. What that means is if they wanted to, they could have got someone else to do it. Someone else could get the body. Someone else wrap them. But they're so transformed, so moved. Something has shifted that they go to the cross themselves. And I want you to understand something today. The cross changes everything. It has the power to shift how we see things. It has, us, it has the power to give us the motivation to know if he went through that for me, what can I do? The cross lets me know that I'm loved. I don't have to live in insecurity. I don't have to live in brokenness. I don't have to live in hopelessness. It's a shift. In a moment, it's a shift. But here's the thing. For as great as the cross is, as moving as it is to understand the love of Jesus, Paul says this in Romans 15. He says, if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless. Romans 15 is the next one. And so is your faith. Or sorry, 1 Corinthians 15. That's why you're messed up. Love you. If Christ had not been raised... Our preaching is useless and so is your faith. This is important. The cross is this monumental shift. The cross gave these guys courage to live a different way, to do things they weren't willing to do. But the cross 
if it was just the end of the story, isn't enough. You need to understand this. We as humans can be motivated by so many things. There is something motivating about understanding that someone died for you. There's something motivating about seeing someone beaten, killed, and crucified when they didn't deserve it. But you need to understand this. We don't just need motivation. Because motivation doesn't last forever. We need transformation. Good Friday motivates us. Easter Sunday transforms us. Come on. John 20 says, Early in the morning, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. The tomb's empty. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen laying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Now, I want us to see this. If you guys remember, Nicodemus and Joseph, they were the ones that wrapped Jesus. So motivated to come out of the dark into light. They wrapped Jesus. They did what they could do because of what he had done. But it says early that morning when they saw the empty tomb, the cloth that was once wrapped around Jesus was lying in its place, separate from the linen. All of these things that they, were do are, that they did are literally folded, sitting there in the tomb. Now, you need to understand something. When Nicodemus and Joseph would have put the spices all over the linens, you do that kind of like to mummify the body. You guys know what a mummy is? And so literally, it would have been an absolute mess. Over time, it hardens, but three days, four days, probably not hardening, but an absolute mess. Wet, sticky, disgusting. And so if Jesus were to literally come alive and start ripping this thing up, it would have made a mess everywhere. But scripture is letting us know very intentionally that the cloth and the linen are perfectly in place, folded. What's it letting us know? Jesus did not wake up and rip this thing off. Something miraculous happened in that tomb. And Jesus was letting them know something, that that which is impossible was about to be made possible. Not just the linens, but literally the dead coming back to life. And I wonder if there's a point to be made when they understand the linens for Nicodemus and Joseph. 
that said, hey, I'm so glad you were motivated by the cross. You did what only you can do. But I want you to understand the grave and resurrection Sunday is about me doing what you can't do, which is taking the keys from death and hell and releasing the captives. The cross is motivating. The grave, listen to this, is transforming. The empty grave, the resurrection, the cross, it can shift your perspective. But the resurrection can change your life. Because if Jesus really did raise from the dead, guess what? I don't just overcome fear. I don't just overcome pride. I don't put the steps and the practices in place to live a better life. No, because the grave is empty, I can leave it behind. Because death does not hold him, and it doesn't hold me. You need to understand this. Jesus did the one thing that you and I could not do, could ever do. He left death behind. And all that believe in him is the same thing. That's why Paul says he has been risen. If he hadn't, doesn't matter, but he has. And so we move past motivation to transformation. Can we stand for a second, church? I want to give you an invitation today before we sing. The invitation is simple. If you're here today and you feel like you've been trying to do everything in your power, like I just... Trying, trying to change, I've been trying to get better, trying to do better, trying to motivate myself. I want you to understand something. The resurrection is the end of motivation and the beginning of transformation. And so if there's someone here today, every head bowed, every eye closed, and you want to be transformed, you want to put your faith in the Jesus that raised from the dead, if that's you today, Could you just show me your hand? I would love to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, you are alive. The grave is empty. God, you see every single hand. And God, you know every heart in this place. And so, Lord, for someone leaning into transformation today, for someone that wants to put their trust in you today, God, I pray that this is the moment that this is the space. Come on, can we, can we pray this together? Can you guys repeat after me? Just say, dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the cross. And thank you that the grave is empty. So God, I give you my everything. I give you my wins. And I give you my sins. Jesus, today, make me a new creation. I welcome you in with my heart wide open. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we clap our hands for Jesus? Come on, let's worship together one more time. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want more information about our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.